how to grow through waiting. You know, sometimes we have messages that are for us as far as preachers and this and uh, pretty much speaks to my heart because I'm not a very good waiter. Would you consider yourself a patient waiter? Uh, or do you get a little antsy waiting in long lines? And sometimes we even get a little irritated when you're made to wait. Inevitably, I go to the grocery store, I'm looking for the quickest line. Man, sometimes I, I get in that line and it's, it takes longer than the other ones to go through. Then I'm kicking myself and saying, man, why didn't you get in that line over there? Or at the doctor's office, you ever waited a long time there? Or at Walmart or CVS waiting for drugs? And, or Dairy Queen? Uh, my wife's got a great story about Dairy Queen, but I'm not going to tell it. You'll have to ask her about it. And then stopped in traffic. Oh, my. That's when the road rage comes out. It's just we're just not patient. And to add to that, since COVID-19... Lines get larger. You're six feet away, so it makes that line even longer, actually, between people. The problem is with us, we want stuff immediately, if not sooner. It's like that Wentworth commercial. It's my money, and I want it now. And I think a lot of times we, we just act like babies. Richard Foster, in Celebration of Discipline, says, Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction, it's a primary spiritually pro- spiritual problem, actually. But, you know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and most of our problems in life, if you boil it right down, they're spiritual problems. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people, real people. Would you consider yourself a deep spiritual person this morning? And only you can answer that. Are you real? Are you a real follower of Christ or just appear to be one? Here's my favorite definition of being real from the Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. Let's watch this clip. Listen closely. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery vendor before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off 
and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints, and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child... loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. You see the analogy between this children's story and our relationship to Christ. A real follower of Christ is what happens to you when God's love finally becomes 100% apparent to you. We truly understand that God really does love us for who we are. We become real. And then we love him back. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, but for he was always truthful. But when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. God doesn't hurt us, does he? He's never hurt me all the time I followed him. What his quest is, is to build character, integrity, as he makes and mold us, to conform us into the image of Christ. It feels painful because it's going against our old nature. Again, the rabbit asks, does it happen all at once like being wound up, he asks, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said Skin Horse. You become it. You become, it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. spiritual understanding of that is overwhelming to me. It describes us as followers of Christ. It makes sense. And after we commit our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit's quest is to, we are, and if we're truly obedient, is to make us into real deep followers of Christ. And it's a lifelong process, conforming us to his image. The psalmist describes this kind of deep person as being like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It's Psalm 1, verse 3. As Foster points out, the number of firmly rooted trees on the Christian landscape is growing smaller and it's largely because of many of us' unwillingness to wait on God. We tend to replace waiting for God with with doing our own thing and doing what we want in our life and not following his plan, so to speak. 
Carl Jung once said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And the more we draft this attitude of hurry into our pursuit of God, the more and more it affects our inner being. Our physical stature may mature over time, but our spiritual being stays a baby, actually. Here's some biblical example of waiters. These are people who waited on God and became spiritual giants in Scripture and in life. Noah. God told Noah to build the ark because he planned to send a rain to cleanse the earth for a new beginning. So enduring his neighbor's taunts and derision and perhaps his own doubts, Noah waited 120 years before the rain. The earth first finally came. It hadn't rained upon the earth. So here's Noah is preaching rain, and these people don't have a clue what he's talking about. Water came up from the ground. Job, deeply scarred where he lost his family, his wealth, and his own health in one of the most examples of undeserved suffering in the Bible. One by one, the physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual support for his face was removed, prompting his wife to come and say, Job, you're pretty much a loser. Why don't you just curse God and die? But he didn't. He chose to wait on God. Abraham, at 75 years old, God came to him and said, Abraham, you need to leave your home, which was Ur of the Chaldees, because I'm going to make you a great nation. Genesis 11. And for more than 100 years, Abraham waited for God, continually pitching his tent, pulling up the stakes and moving on, waiting for God to get to that point where he said, okay, Abraham, this, you can pour a concrete foundation now. Joseph endured 14 years inside a dark Egyptian prison cell for something he didn't do. But instead of giving up on God, he waited. Moses, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, was well-educated, a prodigious bright star in Egypt. At the age of 40, he killed an Egyptian and had to flee for his life, living in the desert for 40 years, waiting on God. Paul Pharisee among Pharisees. When this new sect began to spring up in the land of Israel, Paul felt it was his position to cut them down. But Christ had other plans for Paul. On the road to Damascus, he came and spoke to him, blinded him. He got his sight back, and he went into the wilderness for three years, waiting on God, and then he waited on God the rest of his life. And Jesus himself just before Christ's public ministry began, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would only worship him. And the last of the three tests, Satan tempted Christ to receive glory and power in a way other than God's way, which was the cross, Philippians 2 and Matthew 28. But Jesus was willing to wait. Pastor J.D. Greer gives us his perspective on waiting on God. Let's watch. John Wesley, who was one of our nation's greatest evangelists, and I uh, just finished a book about him. He said, he, he said he was so convinced of prayer's agency in bringing the power of God that, that he said, I am convinced that God does nothing on earth except in answer to prayer, persistent prayer. Now, again, you wonder, well, I mean, if God wants to give us these things, why not he just do it immediately, the first time that we ask for them? Again, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure the full answer, but I have learned that there are things that God does in us during times of waiting. In Lamentations 3.25, Jeremiah, who was a prophet that was himself very broken in prison, felt like he was abandoned, like he'd lost everything. 
He said, he said, Lamentation 3.25, it's good for a man. It's good for a man to wait quietly to see the salvation of the Lord. He called out on God multiple times for his deliverance, and God told him to wait. Times of waiting can have a, a purifying effect on us. I know from experience that waiting on God in silence can help us see all the false places that we trust. God reveals that. Waiting on God. Waiting on God can help shake us of our self-confidence. Waiting is how God tests our faith in his goodness. Martin Luther said it's like a, like a child trying to push against the hand of a parent. The parent gives only enough resistance to test the resolve of the child. Martin Luther said that's what God does with us in prayer. He wants to see our resolve in his goodness. Looking back on my life now, I can see how some of God's greatest times of blessing in my life happened during seasons of waiting when it felt like he wasn't even listening. He was listening, but there were some things that, that God wanted to do in me before he did those things that I was asking him to do for me. I love how the popular praise song puts it. God, if you're not done working, I'm not done waiting. And until he comes back, until Jesus comes back or until I'm dead, he's not done. You know, I've, I've shared this story who knows how many times, but when Diana went to Freeport in the early 80s, I could, I could picture crossroads in my mind. Tables and chairs, donuts, the whole ball of wax. But I wasn't ready, and God took Diane and I through 14 years up north, and people were gracious, and they loved us. To prepare us for a time such as this, that we came here, and God has... Uh, done a miracle, and he continues to do so. I don't know why I'm stinking emotional. <laughs> Only how the presence of God is with you. Sometimes I almost ignore God, that I know he's there, he's in my heart. No emotion toward him. And then other times, uh, the Holy Spirit is so real. It's like a thickness or an aura around me that, that, that's God. I love those times, but I shouldn't be speaking when I have those times because I can't really talk. Here's some initial observations about waiting, two of them actually. First, waiting on God is the rule instead of the exception. I think all of us have a natural tendency to make waiting on God the exception, trusting in our own wisdom, because we're so smart, and we think we have all the answers. And God will close the door, and everything within us will take a sledgehammer or a chainsaw and cut through it, because this is a force within us. This is something that we want to do. And even though God shuts that door, we'll knock it down. But then when he opens the door, after waiting, like the ones that finally ended Job's pain, released Joseph from prison and made it possible for Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And these times of waiting on God don't always come when we want them to. We have to learn to accept that fact that God's timing is so much different from ours, and it's always the best. 
The second observation is waiting on God is resting and not worrying. The difference between waiting and worrying is focus. When we are truly waiting on God, our attitudes are like Mary's, as she said at the Lord's feet. But sometimes we're like Martha, serving Christ, but the business took away the time that she could sit down at Christ's feet and share with him. And I think it's like that with us as well sometimes. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My friends, we would do well to know that verse, to have it. If you don't want to memorize it, which maybe we should have it somewhere where you can see it every day. Be anxious for nothing, not anything, not COVID, not the economy, not the election. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So here's a personal exhortation to wait. So reaching into the intimate psalmody of his heart during a crisis, David transposed his faith into a song that gives encouragement to other waiters. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He is only my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David tells us what to do. Two things. One, wait for God to direct your steps, verses 1 and 5. David declares this statement, and later he reminds himself just the way that you and I need to remind ourselves as our hearts begin to grow restless. Secondly, trust God to provide your needs in one in verses 1 and 2. Someone has said that our greatest strengths can be, be also be our weaknesses as well. How to wait. David also imparts two ways to practice waiting. One, another issue that I have problem with in silence, verses 1 and 5. Some of the best times that you and I spend in prayer are the ones where we stop talking and simply listen. Times when we meditate upon the things of the Lord. And during these times, God brings to mind a needed truth, a praise, something to be thankful for, a practical application from his word that we might have missed. The second way to wait is instability and confidence, verse 2 and 6. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. The Hebrew word for wait here is kova, which means to twist, to strengthen, to become strong. It's the idea of twisting one thing around another for greater strength like a rope. The results 
waiting on God, we are entwining ourselves around his character, joining ourselves to the stability and confidence that David mentions here that we cannot possess that on our own. Why wait? David's psalm is ripe with the fruits that come from waiting on God. They include deliverance. From him is my salvation. Psalm 62, 1. Security. He only is my rock, my stronghold. Verse 2. Hope. My hope is from him. Verse 5. Glory on God, my salvation and my glory rest. Verse 7. And refuge. My refuge is in God. Verse 7. So here's our application to today. I think sometimes we maybe miss application and go on and on about other things, but I think it's really important for us as believers when we hear a message that there's application. Because what good is it to hear it and not act upon it? A student once asked the, once asked the president of his college if there's a course that he could take that was shorter than the one prescribed. Oh, yes, replied the president. But it depends on what you want to be. When God wants to make an oak, it takes 100 years. And when he wants to make a squash, it takes six months. Many of us, while waiting on God, have asked similar questions. Lord, isn't there a shorter, less difficult route that I could take? Do I have to do this? Do I have to spend time in prayer? Do I have to spend time in your word? Why don't you just pour all your blessings on me now? Just give me the full enchilada. But it doesn't work that way, does it? We have to look at it from God's perspective. As he makes and he molds us, there's things that happen to us that we don't like, but they're for our good. But it's only in waiting in him, trusting, praising, resting, that our roots will go deep enough for us to be solid as an oak tree, to have the patience of a sequoia, to acquire the wisdom of 200-foot pine, and to possess the quiet humility of an aspen. So I ask you again this morning, and only you and you yourself can answer this question. Are you a real follower of Christ? Or are you one that just bears the name? Are you one that sets in a church service and you feel good about yourself because you're here, but it goes no farther. Are you waiting on God to speak into your life because he has instructions for each one of us? There's always a next step in Christ. Our, our process will not end till this old heart stops and we cross that river. But until then, every day of our lives, God has, has something for us. Or, which I've done before as well, are we trying to live life under our own strength? And I ask, how's that working out for you? Here are three direct applications to be found in verse 8 of Psalm 62. How are they acted out in your life? The first one's this, waiting involves trusting. Ask yourself, how can I exercise greater trust this week? Two, waiting includes prayer. Ask yourself, how seriously have I poured out my heart to God in my life? And then three, waiting implies resting. Ask yourself, am I anxious? 
Am I tense? Do I worry a lot? In what areas can I practice resting this week? And this morning, my friends, maybe you just need to confess to God you're not waiting on him, but blundering through, making your own decisions without first consulting him. Sometimes that works out all right, but most of the time it doesn't. You can get in bad pretty quick. Love you guys this morning, and I just pray that you're learning to wait on God. Lord, I do love you. I thank you for these fine folks. And I just ask God that you would just help us to understand what a great plan <laughs> you have for each one of us. And in that plan, it involves waiting and trusting and resting in you and not doing what we want or where we think we've got the great ideas to carry out, but to seek your face in all things. I love you, God, and those folks I mentioned in the beginning. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you just give them a double blessing today. For I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.